Hello and welcome to the Pro Rogue One edition of Romaniacs. Here's how it works. If I don't like the way things are going, I can suspend the podcast and single-handedly push through a no-guest Romaniacs, which is totally legit. I'm Dorian Linsky and I'm joined, for now, by a couple of our regulars. Alex Andre writes, acts, sings, cooks and fights Brexit and he's back on the show. Hello, Alex. Hello. Um, you saw some unorthodox campaigning from Kwasi Kwarteng on behalf of Bojo this week. Yes. Yeah, he was saying that uh, uh, anyone who wants to know Boris Johnson's policies can just read his dozens of articles for The Telegraph where he says loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then when he was challenged about some of the language in those articles, said uh, he said, oh, don't take them too seriously. He's paid to write controversial stuff. So it's like, OK, then. <laughs> Um, there's some wonderful endorsements. Nimco Ali saying she's supporting Johnson because he's a real feminist. Or Liz Truss saying, without giggling, that he was a brilliant foreign secretary on Today This Morning. Oh, Liz. Liz, <laughs> Liz, 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 Liz. Did you know she's in charge of, apparently, their tax policy? She's actually writing up his tax policy. I mean, Liz Truss is someone well, who I expect is found trapped in a room by her family because she's baffled by the door handle. And she's writing his tax policy. She was on radio this morning and she was asked about uh, Nazanin Zagari Radcliffe. She couldn't even say the name. She couldn't. She went kind of... <laughs> she went Nazagin. Roz Taylor is the editor of LSE Brexit. Hello, Roz. Hello. Uh, exciting news from the excitingly named LSE Electoral Hostility Barometer this week. <laughs> um, can, can, you, can you tell us a bit about it? It sounds scary. It is scary. Um, basically, it says that people are feeling more and more angry towards people who voted differently from them. And although that's always been a feature of British politics, to be honest, because we've always had the kind of never kissed a Tory mentality and, you know, a certain amount of hatred going on this this it really means that things are worse than they were before and how they measured this is in asking people if they'd be prepared to pay more taxes um, to pay for um, for example areas of the country that suffered as a result of brexit and uh, bailing help essentially bailing them out and about 51% of um, remainers didn't want to bail out those leave areas that suffered the effect of brexit which is pretty frightening that's a bit of a dick move. Like, <laughs> it is, it I is, mean, yeah. That seems awful because it's it would not... make things worse and make people sadder and angrier and poorer. Yeah, basically. It will entrench all the divides. But more widely, it really undermines the social contract because the thing about social contract is it says, yes, I may not get the best out of this society, I may not be uh, benefiting as very much from public taxes, but I'm prepared to pay them because we're all part of the same society, we're all part of the same country, and we're all poor together. And it's basically saying, um, no, I don't subscribe to that anymore. I hate you so much. And in fact, about 11% of the people surveyed said they hated the other side so much that they would be prepared to have a fight with them, a physical fight, not just a Twitter fight. Um, so, <laughs> so why one in ten is actually real corn. Up for it. Corn yeah. outside now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Scary times. Wow. Uh, this week's special guest, <laughs> he's very civil to everyone, is Arnand Menon, Professor of European Politics and Foreign Affairs at King's College London and Director of the think tank UK in a Changing Europe. He's from Wakefield, he sports Leeds United and he describes himself as a bitter and twisted observer of politics. Is there any other kind these days? <laughs> Arnand is also a regular TV sparring partner of Ian Dunt, but Ian has run away on holiday like a great big coward who would not fight a lever in a pub car park. <laughs> Hello, Arnand. Welcome to Romaniacs. 
You stole my line. He's done a runner, hasn't he, Dunsey? <laughs> come back! Um, He's always you... been slightly scared of me, I should say. Has he? It's partly his white liberal conscience who doesn't like to argue with people who look like me. But he loses anyway, so, you know. Um, what, are you enjoying the, the dazzling spectacle of the Tory leadership campaign so far? So many people to choose from. Well, yeah, I mean, when's the last time you enjoyed politics in this country? Uh, it's just been a mess for so long. Uh, I find myself looking back with this sort of nostalgia to things at the time I thought were crap. I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's when we did things properly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's par for the course. I mean, I'm, obviously I'm depressed and I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised because it's precisely what you would have predicted before it started. And you've written a lot about exactly how Brexit has divided Britain. Does, does Ross's LSE research about his attitude sort of chime with what you've found um, and make the, the much talked about bringing the country together perhaps a little tricky? No, absolutely. I mean, actually, I, I was smiling when Ros was talking because it's so university, this, because actually there is someone at the LSE who's done lots of this research before. She's called Sarah Hobolt. And this is a completely separate centre set up that does... I mean, this is this is what kings do all the time. We set up things and we find out we've already been doing them somewhere else. I mean, it's just a wonderful <laughs> sort of nugget on how we run things. But yeah, we're divided and, you know, you see all this research. I mean, what scares me about this research is how American it sounds. You mm. know, how upset people would be if their kids married someone from the other side of the Brexit divide. I mean, that's culture war. And it's not something anyone should celebrate because it just makes us a harder country to live in, basically, if everyone hates everyone else. Well, it's amazing because I think looking at America, we've seen that develop, you know, over the last 20 odd years. And it's got worse and worse and tribalism and polarization. Um, and then in sort of one stroke, the referendum has sort of imported that here. Because, of course, people were divided before. Of course, Remainers and Leavers, before they were called that, had huge differences. But they didn't have the kind of the flags to rally around. Yeah, that's true. I don't think, I mean, I think that's slightly oversimplified. I think with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, if you look back at the numbers from 2010 or 2015, you can see that this was happening. But you're absolutely right. Having having the flags literally to rally behind has made it of a whole different order now. Later in the show, Arnon's going to help us assess the latest state of the Tory leadership field, which, when we recorded this on Wednesday afternoon, still consisted of 10 counting candidates. We'll also be reaching back into the midst of time to see what the Peterborough by-election result from last <laughs> week meant. Has it really stalled the Brexit party and vindicated Jeremy Corbyn's cunning Brexit plan, or is everyone just taking what they want from it? OK, first up, the Tory leadership race and what it all means for Remain. If you're a Patreon backer, you'll be listening to this on Thursday, before the first vote, uh, when there are ten candidates still in contention. If you're not a Patreon backer, why not? It's brilliant. <laughs> So, we've had the Yes, I Took Drugs as well arms race at this weekend as candidates shared their experiences of experimenting with narcotics like a team of diligent scientists running tests <laughs> under laboratory conditions. Just one more line to check those results. Uh, having received the Romaniac seal of approval from Dominic Grieve last week, Sam Gima dropped out almost immediately. Uh, this week, we're crossing our fingers and endorsing Boris Johnson, hoping that the same thing will happen. His latest wheeze is tax cuts for those earning over 50 grand a year. Arnold, is lots of money for high-rate taxpayers the change the nation demanded uh, when it voted to leave the EU? No, it obviously isn't, but it might be the change that his immediate electorate demands, and that's the point. I mean, one of the things I think about with this is I remember a point in the US presidential election that was really interesting when Donald Trump basically said, when confronted about something he said in the primaries, well, yeah, that was the primaries. You all talk shit in the primaries. This is the general election. I'm going to say something perfectly contradictory because mm. that's what we do. And that, that, I mean, that had the benefit <coughs> of being very, very honest and I do wonder with Boris Johnson whether actually he isn't someone who's capable of pulling off exactly the same trick. Turning, 
Tory MPs need the Tory membership once. That is when they become elected leader. Thereafter, they have no influence over them whatsoever. So it, it is conceivable that whatever he says now, he'll do a screeching U-turn about later on. So I, wouldn't, I mean, I, I'm not spending too much time listening to what these people are saying at the moment, to be honest, because I don't think it ties them to anything. Yeah, the, the problem with that, though, is that we said the same thing about Trump. Mm-hmm. Didn't we? That yep. once he was in place, he wasn't really going to do all that stuff. He was going to be more presidential. Yep. He would soften his stance. The party would control him. And none of that has happened. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm profoundly worried. Yeah. OK, I'm not thinking, oh, it'll be fine, because experience suggests it won't. But uh, I'm just thinking that the, the, the detailed policies, insofar as they are any, that are being co- that they're coming out with now, it's not worth wasting time thinking too oh, hard about. Sure, because the ones sure. that come out in a few weeks are be completely different. Well, I heard some um, highlights from the launch today, the launch of Boris's campaign. Highlights. Um, and there was... Um, <laughs> so Beth Rigby from Sky asked him about his various uh, offensive comments, and he just gave this... A very Trumpian response where he was like well the reason why politicians are so distant from the public is because we don't speak as we find and I'm you know I'm sorry if I've offended anyone I'm not uh, but I'm just going to continue saying things and yeah sure the phrasing might be a little vulgar sometimes but hey that's what people are really thinking and it was kind of remarkable like that's straight the language is obviously different uh, but that's just that is a Trump message straight and she out. was booed yeah. Roundly booed by yeah. people in the room, including MPs that are supporting yeah. him in the room, booing journalists. Really, yeah. It's, but that happens with the Labour Party as well violent, these days. That's just yeah, part yeah, of the course. There, isn't there was it? a sort of. It, it, it goes back to what you were saying about the Americanization yeah. of our politics, because that's another import. The idea that Boris sort of disappears for two weeks and just sends proxies. Yeah. That's another Americanization. Yeah. I first became aware of proxies in the last two years on in British politics. Yeah. In American politics, it's totally normal. You know, Trump has 10 people he sends out to the media. But we didn't have it over here. I mean, can I just I mean, there were two things about that press conference that really struck me. First was... It was a bunch of blokes cheering him, and it was so you'd have thought, get some women amongst your supporters. It just sounded like a bunch of old Tory MPs going, yeah, yeah, and it was really off putting. The second thing that I thought was brilliant was George Parker from the Financial Times, who very carefully and deliberately said, Mr. Johnson, almost as if he was saying to himself beforehand, I will not say Boris, I will not fall into that trap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think the world henceforth will be divided between the people who say Mr. Johnson and the people who say Boris, and they mean yeah. very different things. And I think it matters. I think if you start calling him Boris, you are almost accepting the fact that you're holding him to a different standard to anyone else. That he's well, a schleb. Yeah. He's the runaway uh, sort of favourite at the moment, basically kind of locked in for one of the final two places. What happened to the Stop Boris effort that we were talking about a few weeks ago? Well, Stop Boris failed because it founded on the rock of the Tory membership. And we uh, all know that they like Boris. Uh, he is their far, by far their preferred candidate. The fact is that... Johnson. Other, sorry. <laughs> Mr Johnson. Mr Johnson. <laughs> Mr Johnson. It's terrible because, you know, that's what you were saying, Alan. I have really been telling myself to say Johnson, and I still can't... Uh, maybe it's because I used to be a proper journalist, you know. But I still can't... I can't shake the habit of saying Teresa. <laughs> I can't stop myself saying... Well, she's, so, she's just so adorable. <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> Yeah, it, fa- it founded on on that rock of his popularity with the membership. And it doesn't matter how popular any of his rivals may be among the wider country. And we've seen Rory Stewart making quite an impact in terms of rallies and in terms of energising people who represent a wider demographic than the Tory party. 
it, they're not going to cut through. I personally think that Stuart is just um, putting a marker down for the future. I think if they ever become less extreme, he's a man waiting. But uh, at the moment, it is all about the membership, and they are an incredibly narrow demographic people. Well, one of the uh, potential Boris stoppers was, was Gove, uh, who, who sort of blown it with his uh, cocaine admission, apparently. Um, his vote with, with the Tory membership really suffered from it. They're not, not a big GAC contingent in the membership. Um, why does it... Are you surprised, Arnold, that it mattered so much? Because other politicians have confessed to uh, taking drugs. I mean, Barack Obama, I remember, uh, confessed that he'd taken cocaine Including once. Boris. Well, but, well, you... Yeah. Mr Johnson... Mr. Yeah. Johnson has has trumped that that story and kind of well, basically he was asked to go about it today, and he yes. goes, "What people really want is to make Britain great again." Essentially, that was his response. The sand he sh- he snorted is rather shifty. <laughs> <laughs> but what, why is it why has it been so so damaging? Is it to do with his sort of hypocrisy on drug legislation, or is there simply just a, a quite old fashioned resistance to uh, taking drugs among the people he needs to impress? It's lots of things, isn't it? It's the demographic. It is the fact that there is a very snappy line you can use to show hypocrisy it is the fact that he obviously struggled in that interview with Mars. so the press reporting was about how Gove struggled and got awkward and got embarrassed which doesn't help uh, and it's about the fact that there's only one candidate made out of Teflon um, and one of real life where's Wally Rory Stewart launching in the circus tent saying we need a sense of shame in politics is he as, as you suggested Ros is he just a, a sort of the right candidate at entirely the wrong time, that you can just imagine that there are other points in the history of the Conservative Party where he'd be yeah, rather bec- popular. because he's an old Etonian. Um, he has many of the things that Tories can normally would admire immensely. He's travelled to, you know, former colonies, for God's sake, and, uh, yeah, has uh, been everywhere. Um, but he's, he's um, in, in many ways, he represents an older kind of Toryism, a one-nation Toryism, and that is not what the uh, membership currently are, are primed to want. They are much more Brexity. They think that they want Brexit at any price, and that is not quite what he is offering them. He is offering them a hard Brexit um, of the kind that... Of the, one that Theresa May negotiated or something very similar. But it's not, he's not prepared to say, I would provoke Parliament, I would go for no deal. And that's not extreme enough for them. And that's the place well, that we're you, in, remarkably. I mean, you could basically order all the candidates in order from sane to insane and eliminate them pretty much in that order from the contest, <laughs> I think, with very few exceptions. That's how it's going to go. Mark Francois was on Newsnight last night, or a clip of him was, but he said something very, very... <laughs> and he's laughing. He said something incredibly revealing. He said why the reason he's supporting Boris Johnson is he went and had a meeting with him and he asked him straight out, are we coming out on the 31st of October, deal or no deal? And Boris Johnson replied to him, we have to, or the Tory party's finished. And I think that's a hugely revealing comment. It's not, We're not coming out on no deal because it's good for the country, or it's good for the economy, or it's good for the people, or it's democratic, or it's what people voted, voted for. We're potentially coming out on no deal because otherwise the Tory party's finished. And they're now saying this openly. I find that extraordinary. And that's the reason people have coalesced around Boris Johnson, not because he'll be a good prime minister, not because he has ideas, but they because they think he's the only person that can save their job. Well, 
Well, the, the other kind of uh, you know muted Boris Stopper, who who I think would definitely push it through regardless, is Dominic Raab. Uh, he threatened to prorogue Parliament uh, in order to get Brexit done by default, which is literally a rubbish idea. Um, <laughs> Burko slapped him down, but are there circumstances where a PM could do that? It is, I believe, technically legal. And Arnon, would you like to just explain what prorogation is because it's a fun new word that we all get to if you tell me with. who writes your puns first i will yes. that was that was my that was my own work well, congratulations <laughs> that was fantastic uh i don't think it is true that the courts would step in i think the issue is what parliament would do and parliament and the speaker it seems to me form a pretty potent combination here the speaker basically said why he had to go to washington to say i don't know but he did that I will make sure there is time for Parliament to debate this. Parliament, of course, is having a debate this afternoon where the, what's up for grabs is whether or not they can control the order paper. Uh, and the second thing is, I believe, I think, in the event that a Prime Minister said, I'm going to take us towards no deal, enough Tory MPs would vote against their own government in a vote of no confidence to stop it. Uh, now... I'm not certain about that because one of the things I've noticed in the last six months is a number of those Tory MPs who at one time said, I will resign the whip if Boris Johnson becomes leader, have gone very quiet about that now. Uh, so I wonder. But I, I think my gut tells me that ultimately, and you know, my gut isn't something the country as a whole should rely on, but it tells me that ultimately Parliament will do whatever it takes to stop this happening. And Heather Stewart at the press conference today asked that question. If we don't leave on the 31st, will you resign? Uh, he completely blanked No, obviously he didn't yeah, answer yeah. it. Totally yeah. uh, but that is the question, isn't it? Because it seems to me that whoever the next Prime Minister is, unless they get this deal through, and frankly I don't see how that happens because any Tories you gain is going to be outweighed by Labour people you lose because it's a lot harder for a Labour person to vote for a new Prime Minister than for one who's dying. I don't see how you get it through. I think we're in extension territory. I do find it bizarre, like, you know, you know, um, in the American presidential election campaigns, there are people who are very hotly tipped, uh, but they don't decide to run that time. They just go, this is not the right time. I'm going to mm. wait. You would think if you had ambitions to leave the Tory party, this is sort of terrible because either you just you fail uh, and then you disappoint everybody, you know, all the people that, that want Brexit or you end up pushing through most likely a no deal, which will also wreck the party and your chances. It seems that anybody who wants to be Prime Minister now is going to be Prime Minister for quite a short period of time <laughs> and be a you know, and be in the same level in the history books but, as, as Cameron and, and May. But you sort of answered your own question because the point was there are people who with reasonable prospects that would say this is not the right time to run. But this is the perfect time for people with no real prospects to run because it's chaos. So anything could happen. So this is, you know, I mean, you look at people like... Uh, uh, Esther McVeigh? Yeah, I mean, Esther McVeigh. What other chance will Esther McVeigh get to be the head of the Tory party other than this complete chaos? None. In this context, I think Johnson actually has an advantage, and it's a terrible thing to say, and I really hate to say it, but he does. He has an advantage because he already lies, and his lying and his general failure to... to respect the truth, is priced in to Johnson as a candidate. See, I'm getting it right now, Johnson, not Boris. 
And because of that, what the Tory party really want is a personality. They want a personality who they believe will be strong enough to carry them through this period. And they want somebody who will not be sufficiently ashamed that if they don't deliver no deal or any deal by 31st of October, will feel they have to resign. And who is that person? I'm pretty sure that person is Johnson. He will not feel that. He might well feel that he has to call a general election, but then he has a reasonable chance of winning that, um, especially against Corbyn. So I think in this in this circumstance, his the fact that we price in lower expectations of Johnson works in his favour. And I hate to say that because where have we ended up as a nation? <laughs> but I, I, I think it's true. Uh, finally, who do we think is going to be in the final two? I mean, Johnson, surely, uh, unless something terrible stroke delightful happens to knock him out. Um, who's going to be the second? Hunt. I was, I would say Hunt, too. It's got to go, be somebody who goes is... dead meat, dead meat. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it is to say the least a massively unpredictable electorate, and I just don't know. I don't know what will happen over that. There's going to be if there are going to be TV debates, if that will change things. Mm. Gove will perform very well in debates. Mm. Uh, so very... if he's had a live now. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to. I mean, I think it will be Hunt. But if I were putting money on it, looking at the odds, I'd put some money on Stuart, actually. Just because I think that as the, uh, as the less sane candidates drop out, um, I think if someone was going to support Hunt or Gove, they would be in their camp already. So I think he may be the person that picks up all the votes from all the smaller candidates as they if he drop survives out. The if first he survives, round. yeah, that's mm. right. If he survives, which the first I don't round. think he will. I'm, I, 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 Do you I'd, think I'd he'll like, be the first one out? I think he'll be one of the first ones out. Uh, I agree with you. That was what would happen if he went any further. But I don't think he's at the moment. He's got the backing of seven MPs. I think. I just don't think he can get through. He that. can't have the backing of seven MPs because he needs eight plus the two. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah but, well, I think it's uh, it's it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in the single mm. figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just say something? Not in defensive point. I mean. This is about visceral personal ambition. Mr. Johnson. Well, the whole thing. I mean, all of them. I mean, if if I take an analogy, right, if Marcelo Bielsa rang me up and said, do you want to come on and play for Leeds in the playoff final? There would be a bit of my head saying, actually, don't be such a prat. You want them to win, right? You Mm. want the team to do well. There'd be another bit in my head saying, good Lord, yes, it's my dream come true. And I think that yeah. is essentially where these people... And what people... if I happen to arse one in? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine. Just imagine. They can take me off after five minutes. I don't care. I'll have done it. Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, that's what it's like for these people. Their lives have been sort of dominated by this thought. I'm yeah. going to be prime That's what happens when you, say, when you tell kids, follow your dreams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> never, so from what got. Ros was saying, though, is there a possibility that, that Johnson might be... Um, might be elected their leader and then call an election straight away because it might be quite smart for him to not have to break the 31st of October thing um, before calling an election. Mm-hmm. It might be smart mm. for yeah. him to say, look, I, I need numbers in Parliament. Not straight Give away because in... um, tourists will be away, on holiday. But, but, yeah, um, yeah, but maybe uh, a couple early of September. Months. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When, they come, when they all come back from the south of France. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I well, can well imagine that, yeah. Um, moving on, um, the Peterborough by-election last week was kind of a picture of where the, where the parties stand. Um, it didn't quite deliver the triumph the Brexit party expected. Labour beat them into second place by 683 votes. Poor Nigel Farage had to scuttle out the back door. At least he had a Today programme interview the next day to cheer himself up. Labour's victory was marred by candidate Lisa Forbes' association with anti-Semitic Facebook groups. 
Uh, the aftermath in the party was not happy. Um, but on the upside, Labour are moving a motion today, that's Wednesday, to effectively outlaw no deal, uh, although nobody can say if it will be binding. So we'll start with the with the Peterborough by-election, um, and I suppose what it means for, for Remainers. The Labour leadership's takeaway from Peterborough, which I believe is its takeaway from everything, seems to be thumbs up for Jeremy's Brexit policy. Uh, Labour's vote was down 17%, 31%, while the Lib Dems were up 9 uh, Peterborough is a fairly levy uh, constituency. Do they... Do they have any grounds for um, thinking that this result was was in any way a comment on Labour's Brexit policy, or was it simply to you know people you know trying to stop the Brexit Party? <laughs> I think it was a terrible uh, result for Labour, as you say, seventeen percent down, uh, and the Brexit Party on twenty nine percent. Okay, we know they got a high result in the European elections, but you expect them to do very well in the European elections. Uh, you don't necessarily expect them to do so well in a by election. I think Labour did very, very badly. They only just scraped through. And I think that was partly the weakness of their candidate, admittedly, but it bode very, very ill for their prospects. OK, just just playing devil's advocate. Yeah, go on. <laughs> so if the Brexit party cannot win in a really brexit area like Peterborough on the back of their EU triumphant <clears throat> performance against a, a Labour Party that just lost their MP after a, a, a sort of straw poll uh, because she'd been convicted uh, of a criminal offence, when can they win? Do, do you see what I mean? You could look at it that way, that this was their ideal opportunity to get an MP elected, and they fell just short. What, what do you think, Anna? What's, what's the... I mean, do you think the Brexit Party have kind of hit their ceiling already? Quite possibly. I mean, what I would say is you don't need to win to win. Uh, you know, you can you can put pressure on the big parties and win that way. Of course, and that's what yeah, he's been exactly, doing for decades. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think we should look at this purely in terms of seats at Westminster. I also think we should just be cautious about reading across. I mean, it's the third time in a very short space of time the people of Peter have been to the polls. Turnout was quite low. Yes, it's a crap result for Labour, given the declining vote share, but whether you can just easily read across to what people would do in the circumstance of a general election when turnout will be higher. And, you know, yes, the, the, the electorate is massively volatile at the moment, but I also detect that the British people are quite sophisticated when it comes to lending their vote. No one would have predicted that 82% vote share that the big two parties got back in 2017. So... I mean, I'm I'm very very leery about reading too much into these things because, quite frankly, I don't know. Mm. Um, well, the post-mortem meeting of the PLP was described as Corbyn's worst meeting as leader. Uh, too many um, too many issues to mention, although his approval rating, um, which was a, a healthy z- net zero around the time of the 2017 election, is now minus 50. Um, can, given that he's almost four years into his leadership. Uh, and the party is still sort of is still deeply divided. There's still the anti-Semitism issue. There's still the Brexit fudge. Um, he's becoming less and less popular with the wider public. Um, can anything threaten his position as leader, though, or that because the members still seem to sort of oh, I forgot to mention sexual harassment uh, scandal <laughs> as well. But but Anna, does anything threaten him, or is he just kind of it doesn't matter how bad things get, he's still kind of locked in to the leadership. My sense is he goes either because he wants to or after another election. And until then, he's pretty immovable. It's very, very hard to move him. I think Labour MPs, 
the ones who don't like him and don't want him there are very alive to the accusation of undermining the Labour cause if they move against him and then they lose an election, then the blame won't be solely on his shoulders. So mm. I think they've decided that discretion is the better part of valour. Let him fail and let it be him that fails rather than our disloyalty that fails him. Yeah, but will he ever fail by by a, a sort of the shifting standard of his fanatical support who will simply say, well, he did a lot better than some people said? Which is what they did last time. I mean, it's a, it's a very good question, of course. But if you look, if I mean, if you if you if an alien came down to to the planet and looked at the Twitter feed of sort of faithful Corbyn supporters after the last election, they would surmise that Labour had won the election. Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. It's really a weird thing. Absolutely. I mean, it is very very hard to say, and of course, this isn't just about how long Corbyn stays. It's also about how much imp- impact he has over the choice of his successor. Mm which will materially affect things as well. I mean, it is conceivable the next Labour leader adopts a policy of remain. Hmm. Uh, or, you know, if we've left of rejoin, it's equally conceivable that a Corbyn acolyte comes in pursuing the same policies as him. And at the moment, I think he's going to be quite influential in choosing his successor as well. I well, just don't yeah. know who's who's up to it, because... I mean, there was That really su- doesn't matter nowadays. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about... I mean, Emily Thornbury, who was kind of uh, tipped as, I suppose, the, the most... Um, the sort of most impressive success. I know that some younger people are being talked up, but, mm-hmm. but she's been on the naughty step for for coming out and um, calling for a referendum after European elections. And so then, I don't know, you know, Bergen? God, no. Oh, God. Long Bailey? I, I don't, Wrong I don't, daily. I don't <laughs> see where the um, success has come from. But like you say, it doesn't matter. Talent doesn't matter. No, just just go for it. Follow your dream. Um, <laughs> I should add, we call a lot of people call him Jeremy as well, so it's not confined to the Tory ranks. This That's first true. name mm-hmm. is true. Um, so before we move on, Ross, what did you make of that remarkable Comrades poll, which seemed to think that the um, that the choice of Tory leader would make all the difference in the world? They think they had they had uh, one end. If Roy Stewart was leader, then the Brexit party would be the biggest party at the next general election, and if Boris Johnson was leader, then the Tories would have a kind of Thatcher in '83 style landslide, and it just—I just wasn't convinced. I haven't gone into their methodology, but it just—I it, just couldn't get my head around the idea that the choice of leader alone would make this kind of all the difference. It's at this stage, it's all about name recognition, and you should not—you should not overestimate how the knowledge that people who don't think too much about politics have of the Tory leadership candidates. Let's face it, some of them are pretty much unknown to those of us who do follow politics uh, until a couple of weeks ago. They don't, they aren't. I mean, Matt Hancock, I doubt any of Mark Harper I'd never Mark... heard of, and it sounds like a bad, like a name... Oh, I'd heard of Mark Harper, because he was the one with the, with the cleaner. That oh, yeah. yeah. You, you'd heard of him, Alex. But if a novelist called a Tory MP Mark Harper, you would think, make an F. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it took me a few seconds, 
to think, who who the hell was Mark Harper again? Yeah. So, I thought, yeah, wasn't take, he Prime Minister of Australia? I, I have to <laughs> say, but, I mean. <laughs> no, I mean, most of these people are pretty much unknown to the electorate. They might kind of have a vague feeling about Jeremy Hunt, that something to do with schools, pissed off teach... Uh, uh, no, something to do with NHS, rather. You see, I'm, even I'm getting wrong. Something <laughs> to do with the NHS, pissed off junior doctors, something to do with Michael Gove, something to do with the uh, education, pissed off teachers. You know, this is kind of the vague feelings people, quite understandably, don't spend all their time thinking about politics have about about politicians even front bench politicians um and they haven't had uh, in general they haven't had the exposure to these people that um these people want them to have mm. <laughs> so it's ba- it's basically just Popular it's the joe, it's the joe biden th- thing yeah, in, yeah, in america yeah. it's just oh, like if you're the most name. famous person then yeah also uh, johnson oh he'd be fun sorry boris in this case i shall say boris boris he'd be fun wouldn't he um you know he'd be he's a, a character he's a character and that will for a certain a certain percentage that would be quite quite enough <laughs> sorry alex it's it's just so depressing <laughs> This week's special guest is Arnon Menon of King's College London, political commentator and director of UK in a Changing Europe, who has the unenviable task of trying to remain objective on this whole thing. Uh, but not today. It doesn't have to be objective today. <laughs> Arnon, what exactly is UK in a Changing Europe? Well, we're a network of academics. Uh, every year when Prospect does its think tank awards, we call ourselves a think tank for a couple of weeks while we apply. <laughs> Uh, but we're weird. We're quite unique in the sense that we look like a think tank, but we're academics based around the country, and our job is simply to say what the research says, which doesn't sound that inspiring when I say it like that, does it? <laughs> I'll come up with a better tagline before we finish. <laughs> but you are, I mean, you are sort of allowed to be opinionated in other forums. I am. Mm. I, well, I haven't been told off for a while. Uh <laughs> I put it that way. I think that's because no one no one takes me seriously. Uh, as an organisation, what we have to do is report the research. And my view on that is, if the rep- if the research says making trade harder with your largest and biggest trading partner is going to have negative implications for the economy, we should say it. Uh, that's quite you old, know, it's quite old-fashioned uh, of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we, we we try to just do that. We report what the research is what the research is saying. Uh, so much of this debate is is about tone, right? It really is. I mean, you know, I watch academics do media stuff, and I watch the academics we work with do media stuff. And part of the difference is what we drill into our lot is tone. You don't stick in, unfortunately, or God knows why, but we voted to leave. You don't stick in those interjections. And actually, it, I tell you what, what changes for me, and what has pleasantly surprised me, is it means more people listen to you. What I've found, I mean, one of the things I do is go and talk to constituency parties uh, and, the, and just do a Q&A. Hmm. And a lot of people come up to you afterwards and say, I thought that was really interesting. And I think it was interesting because I don't know how you voted. So if they if they twig that you're Leave or Remainer, they sort of switch off because you kind of know what they're going to say. Hmm. Uh, but it, that for me is the main thing, is increasing the audience of people who are going to pay attention to what the research says. That's quite reassuring. Um, you grew up in Wakefield, which voted two to one to leave, and mm-hmm. you went back after the referendum to make a documentary for Radio 4. Um, were you in any way surprised by what you found? Uh, did it did it sort of, were the things that they were saying the kind of things that you would expected them to say, perhaps, you know, from your experience growing up there? 
Yeah, yes, pretty much. I have a sort of slightly fraught relationship with Wakefield because it's going to get a bit serious now for your podcast. But uh, <laughs> very serious being, <laughs> being of Asian origin in West Yorkshire in the 70s uh, was fairly unpleasant on a day-to-day basis. And actually, the, the thing that sticks in my mind most around Brexit and the area was I'd, we'd went up just before the referendum. We did a public Q&A event in Leeds and I was there with a colleague of mine Catherine Barnard who's a law professor and she's fantastic and we got a cab at the station and we were talking there was a Pakistani taxi driver and we were just talking to him and saying uh, what do you reckon about the referendum and he said actually to be honest I'd like us to leave the European Union but I'm really worried that if we do this place is going to get really racist so I'll probably vote remain and that's the thing that sticks in my mind from that time actually Well, you told the Yorkshire Post no one is going to go around saying I'm social authoritarian, I'm social liberal, but I'm leave, I'm remain probably captures it. Is it the that act? Was quite of, good, wasn't it? It's good. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Stand by that. Um, does, but isn't it sort of the act of naming these things, these these identities, instantly makes them more powerful? Absolutely. I don't want our politics to be about values. I mean, values comes into it, but I don't want it to be structured around a values divide. Uh, I think Change UK is an irresponsible project for that reason, because you're just trying to institutionalise the values divide in our politics. And actually, I think the way to make our politics better is through left-right politics. There'll be values in there. I'm not saying for a moment you don't debate things like, you know, same-sex marriage or gender equality. You have to, obviously. But the main dimension for me is the socioeconomic one. Uh, and I think, yeah, every day having those European elections has entrenched it, having those labels has entrenched it. Uh, I don't know. Actually, one of the things I wrestle with is what outcome is best in terms of our ability to overcome that divide. That's not the only question. There are questions about which outcome is best for the economy, which, you know, but that's one of the questions. And I'm not, you know, I can't for a moment pretend that I've got an answer. But it does strike me that it's important because if we go down that route of of, of value structuring politics, I think, A, we'll miss all the big questions of politics, and B, it'll just be really destructive and unpleasant. But don't you think that part of the reason that people are trying to find different ways of expressing their their political position is that the left-right divide is thoroughly inadequate today? Yeah, it absolutely is. Because basically the left has wholesale bought the principles of capitalism you know if we're honest mm-hmm. it it speaks from a slightly gentler more redistributive capitalism point of view anyway so it, i mean it seems to me that i may have uh, more in common with a sort of socially liberal conservative that lives in south london mm-hmm. than i do with a a, a labor voter that lives in a, a sort of village somewhere in mm-hmm. in Wales not you know I'm not I'm not making value judgments on that all I'm saying is that if I want my politics to coalesce around something that expresses me the left right thing is inadequate right now yeah it is inadequate in many ways I mean what I say to you on your first point is a I don't think that's necessarily a fair description of Corbyn and McDonald's Labour project, uh, which I think is, 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 is more insurgent than you gave it credit for with that description. But second, I'm not sure that's good or bad, if I'm honest. No, no, I, I'm not saying whether it's good or bad. All I'm saying that, is yeah. it's, not, it's not your traditional sort yeah, yeah. of wishy-washy centre-left yeah, yeah. Uh, 
project. And yeah, there are issues like the environment. Where does that fit? It is far from obvious where that fits. I mean, I thought Caroline Lucas on the Today programme today was fantastic in making or trying to make, I'm not sure she wholly succeeded, the environmental project sound like a progressive one as well. But, uh, but for me, ultimately, what government is about, who gets what? Yeah. Okay, it's about resources and scarce resources and distributing them. And there, that ultimately is a left-right issue rather than anything else for me. It's it's about that old-fashioned values clash between being social democratic and being whatever else it'll look. Well, does that make you sort of sympathetic to the Corbynite argument, which which I found kind of you know in, inadequate recently? Um, but you know the people are saying that actually you know it it is about you know it should still be about class interests and economic interest and that we should be able to unite Labour should be able to unite Remainers and Leavers around you know the kind of the the, mm. the many not the few message and because what Labour desperately wants is for all this kind of cultural stuff to mm. to go away mm. because that's their biggest that's their biggest problem that's where they're losing voters you know, on both sides. So do you, do you sort of, do you, like them, wish that that were the case? Yeah, and I suppose actually what that makes me is a dinosaur. I'm just quite old and sort of missed the good old days when I knew what was what and which side I was on and why. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but, I mean, Labour's got a particular problem, hasn't it? Because under, in any other country, under any other electoral system, you'd have what's happened to the the SPD in Germany happening to the Labour Party. That's yeah. to say the Islington bunch would be Greens and the rest would filter out amongst D-Linka, AFD and everyone else. But our electoral system keeps this enormous... And now I was talking about going to constituencies. I mean, mm. I've, you know, in the last few months I've done Wigan and I've done Primrose Hill. And hand on heart, it's almost hard to believe they're the same species, let alone in the same <laughs> political party. And uh, in most countries, yeah. Labour would have something to its left as well, which yeah. I think would be very healthy for yeah. it. Absolutely. So, but I, I do have a degree of sympathy with the argument that ultimately this is about a distribution of resources question, and that's what we need to stick to. Uh, and in, 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 as far as that goes, I am I'm quite sympathetic to the sort of things mm. that Corbyn says. Yes, uh, and America is sort of some decades into uh, into the culture war. If you kind of sort of date it back to like the kind of Nixon Agnew mm -hmm. strategy. Um, and we've, you know, and, and we've, we've seen how toxic that gets. And there was an interesting sort of backlash to when Jeremy Hunt said that he would like to, um, you know, change the, the, the time limit for abortions, even though he said, I would not introduce legislation for that. This is entirely personal belief. But it was a hugely, you know, sort of an explosive statement. Do you see that if we if we continue down this sort of culture war path, the certain issues that we're not used to being fundamental in British politics. I mean, and I don't. I mean, beyond immigration, which is obviously, I suppose, the most obvious. Yeah. The kind of race-related stuff is is kind of it's right there in the Brexit, the Brexit Party. Um, but you know, th whether things like abortion or you know challenges to to gay rights or things like that is is that part of the worry that if you don't move away from that, then ten, twenty years time, these are these American-style wedge issues. No, I do think so. And the fact that Jeremy Hunt said it, and I don't think it was a mistake that he said it, points to the fact that the Conservatives are becoming a social conservative values coalition as much as anything else, and that liberal conservatives are going to find it hard to find a home for themselves uh, at the moment. I do think that's worrying. Uh, it's we're, no, we're nowhere near as far along as the United States are. Yeah. But you can see shades of it in our politics, and I find that really disturbing.
to be honest. Then again, there's another really interesting debate to be had, isn't there, about... I mean, one of the things that happens if we leave the European Union is we lose, without going uber-nerdy, we lose quasi-constitutional law. We lose the ability to entrench rights beyond the reach of Parliament because that's what the European Union has given us. It's given us the ability to have laws that Parliament can't change. Mm. So rights are enshrined in the yeah, EU. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can't do that anymore once we're out. We have no mechanism to do it. And there's, you know, there's an interesting debate to be had about what should be put beyond the reach of Parliament and why. Should it be equality stuff? Should it be workers' rights stuff? And why should some things be beyond the reach of democratically elected politicians, mm. apart from the very good reason that you can't say out loud because you don't trust them? I mean, is it, but isn't part of the issue the, the I mean, in acting, we say there's there's two kinds of actors: actors who bring find points of commonality and bring parts closer to themselves, and actors who completely move towards the part. If that makes sense, and I think there's a similar uh, aspect to leadership. Mm -hmm. um, there is finding out what people think and sort of becoming it. And there is the idea that you find common points of interest and bring people over to a particular view. Yeah. And in my in my opinion, there's been too much of the former yeah. recently. So my question is this. If Labour ought to tag to their working class base that may have legitimate issues about immigration, mm -hmm. why won't they tag to their uh, working class uh, base, a lot of whom like to call me a pufta? Or mm. to their working class base, a lot of whom might think that a woman's place is in the kitchen. So that's my worry. My worry is that once you start saying that, um, you know, it's okay to be socially conservative from a left yep. uh, wing perspective, yep. there are all kinds of trapdoors you can fall into. Oh, my God, there's a lot of social conservatism on the left. On the I, mean, left I remember yeah. growing up, we used to, you know, South Yorkshire used to call itself the Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire. And in my family, we used to call it the National Socialist Republic of South Yorkshire. Because, <laughs> you know, alongside all that good left wing sort of, you know, nationalisation thing, they were all racist as hell when you went to Sheffield. You get abused in the streets. So, yeah, you have that social conservatism there. Uh, amongst Labour voters as well. I think, I think the what issue I'm saying for is, me is... Isn't the duty of Labour to lead yes. on those issues rather than to follow? Yeah. Let, me say, let me say a couple of things. Firstly, absolutely, but I think you also need to show... I mean, yes is the answer, OK? Second point, because I'm not qualifying the yes. The danger, like with the Democrats and toilet gate, is when it looks like you're staring at your own navel whilst leaving your traditional voters to rot without yeah. jobs. And that's the danger. Mm. Yeah, you understand. need to show attention to both. And when it comes to reconciling the two, I just want to remind you of a stroke of genius. Tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime. As a slogan that yeah. reconciles the social liberal and the social <laughs> authority. It was, I mean... Even saying it now, I'm almost moved to tears by just what political genius it was. That's what you need, is the ability to do that. And actually, I've never seen it done better than in that one slogan. Yeah, because that's leadership. Yeah. That is actually taking people by the hand and saying, I will bring you over to my position yeah. because I think it's right. And there's been too little of that on both sides. Absolutely. I hope no one listens to this podcast or I'll just get abused on Twitter for praising Jetonia. Oh, we get that. abused. <laughs> we get abused. We've, in, we've interviewed Tony Blair, so, you know. <laughs> well, haven't we all? <laughs> He's... Um, and we got we got the abuse then. Um, what you were saying about the constitution, um, 
you know, you know, um, David Runciman's Talking Politics podcast, yep. very good podcast, not quite as good as this, pretty good. Um, and um, and they would talk. It's all right. He's at a second-rate university. <laughs> <laughs> and they they talk a lot about the you know the constitutional issues and this whole idea. There's all these sort of unasked constitutional questions that are coming up now, and that yep. actually we have to grapple with a lot of stuff that we that we sort of haven't had to grapple with if we're mm-hmm. living the EU. Um, who do you see in politics who is really thinking about these big picture constitutional questions, not just how you get through the next few months? Well, my cynical answer is the people who will benefit from them. Nicola Sturgeon is, obviously. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so actually, you know. What's her angle? <laughs> <laughs> the people who have something to gain from changing the constitution are very busy thinking about the constitution at the moment. Uh, I mean, if you're referring to the specific Talking Politics podcast where Helen and uh, Chris and David chatted about the constitution, I must confess I was with Chris, whose line was actually, I think, obviously, I mean, you'd be an idiot not to suggest that we have constitutional issues to face up to when it comes to Brexit, when it comes to what I was talking about, whether it comes to devolution. But the the crisis we're confronting at the moment is a political, not a constitutional one, first and foremost. This is about numbers in Westminster. Mm. And I think we need to keep those two separate. Yes, we need to rethink our constitution. But the problem with that, and this is a real problem for me, and I look at, think about the Fixed Term Parliaments Act, right? In its own terms, when it was brought in, you could see why it made sense for Clegg and Cameron to have the Fixed Term Parliament Act. Now, it is the biggest bloody nightmare imaginable because it locks in a government that can't do the one thing that the government's meant to do. And that's why we're yeah. in this hiatus. Mm. There was nothing to stop them, of course, doing a one-term fixed term. No, absolutely fact, not. But that's my, my which point is about, what they should have done. But my problem with writing a constitution now, and I can see the arguments for it, is twofold. One... I don't think there's anyone I would trust apart from me to write it. And that's a function of how divided our society is now. How do you it. how do you find a process that everyone will find acceptable? I yeah. don't think you can. And secondly, the overriding temptation is to write a constitution to fix the problems we face today. And then you wake up tomorrow and think, crap, I didn't think of those problems. And actually, it turns out that beautiful document that dealt with the problems of yesterday is actually one of the problems I face today. Second Amendment fans, this one is for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the biggest problems we face today is the way that parties elect their leaders. Um, and those were arrangements voluntarily entered into by the parties, which they are now uh, are now coming back to bite them and biting us all. Um, and that really has nothing to do with the Constitution. It's, as Amon says, it's a political problem. Is there a value, do you think, Ros, in sort of... I was thinking about that the other day. Maybe you should, on, on the quiet, join every single party just to be in place in case they come oh, to elect our prime minister. But no, seriously, though. though. I just couldn't bring myself. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah. like, Ingrid in, in joined the Tories for, like, two at, days. At least you'd have a say on who the next prime no, minister you, you, is. You, you have to be a member for several months, uh, at least uh, for the Tories to vote. Well, that's what three. I'm saying. So, yeah. preemptively, like, join all of them. I mean, you lot, with all due respect, are pillocks. You should have got you and all your mates to join the Tory party a year ago. It was absolutely abundantly clear (laughs) that the best way to change the course of Brexit a year ago was for loads of Remainers to join the Tory party. You'd need far fewer than you would to change Labour Party policy. They were in government. Now she tells us. Well... You know, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, you've got all this money sloshing about to create a new party. Pratt's take over one of the existing ones. It's like, you know, pay well, people to join them. Wasn't I mean, that Nick Clegg's argument in his in his yeah, book, How to Stop yeah. Brexit? And he got loads of flack for that. Well, I'm not the leader saying... of a party, so I'm not going to get flack for saying, <laughs> you know. 
Yeah, but it was. I remember it's. It was kind of like it both sort of made sense and was. Yeah. Sort of repellent at the same time. <laughs> Which is kind of powerwise with party members. <laughs> um, I mean, in January 2018, you wrote a piece headline that mm. stop debating, leave or remain, and think about how to do Brexit right. They didn't. No. <laughs> they didn't do Brexit right. <laughs> um, I mean, with, there's, so, there's so many sort of errors made along the way. Is there, is there any way to, to do it right now? Or has that ship sailed? I mean, this depends on your trade-offs, doesn't it? I mean, if you're the sort of person that values freedom... You have one view. If you're the sort of person that values economic stability, there's another way of doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm apart from the fact I can't talk about whether I'm leave or remain. For me, ultimately, and this put me at odds with a lot of my friends and indeed family, this wasn't the emotional issue for me, Brexit, the referendum. The emotional issue for me is politics and redistribution. It's one of the reasons why I keep banging on about post-Brexit is because of all the things that the referendum was for me, and I know this is a personal thing, it was an illustration of the fact that the politics of the previous 20 years had failed. If you get to a situation in a developed country where 52% of the population are willing to take a punt because the status quo isn't working for them or for whatever reason... And I, and I, I know I'm talking about my people here. I'm not talking about the Shire Tories who voted Brexit because actually I don't spend much time worrying about them. People in Wakefield say then we were doing it wrong beforehand. And there are several things I would have liked us to do by now. I would have liked all those politicians from that era to put their hands up and say, mea culpa. Yeah, don't hold your breath. Uh, and I'd like us to start thinking about ways to fix it. Uh, I'm going to get a shameless plug. I'm not sure when this comes out, but on Friday I'm doing a TEDx thing in Glasgow, which I'm wetting myself and actually waking up in the middle of the night about because you've got to memorise it, which I'm no good at. Mm -hmm. But it's called How to Fix Britain After Brexit. And that's my... Actually, that I'm far more interested in that than in trade negotiations or the withdrawal agreement but or going, like that. I mean, going back to the left-right divide that yep. you were talking about, for me, the, the biggest divide at the moment is do we do politics that feels good? Mm. Do we do emotional politics or do we do evidence-based sort of technocratic politics? Ooh. And that, to me, is a big... Old you see, I, at the moment. I don't think I don't think that's a sensible or sustainable dichotomy at all. But it is there. It's I'm well, not saying people it's talk sensible. about it. No, no, people talk I'm not about saying it. It's sensible, but it's there. No, no, I know it's there. But I think, look, I remember we had a we did this beer and Brexit event. We had Heidi Allen, and she said, "I wanted to have expert-based politics." I said, "Okay, great, Hayek or Marx." <clears throat> Let's not pretend that expert-based <laughs> politics removes the need to make ideological choices, because it doesn't. And politics is a mixture of both. And actually, one of the things that went wrong with our politics in that sort of first decade of this century was the sort of there-is-no-alternative, jargon-ridden, technocratic politics of new Labour that was basically, this is how it is, this is how it always will be, there is no choice, there is no emotion, there is no passion, and that's one of the things that turned people off. I, I don't think. disagree, but the question is to find the marks of tomorrow rather than absolutely to be going absolutely. to the marks of 120 You'll years You'll notice ago. I'm yeah, steering so. well clear of saying I know any of the solutions. No, but, yeah. <laughs> Do you, but, but does that... I mean, from your point of view, then, would would the government that, you know, sort of brings together post-Brexit Britain or, or tries to fix some of these things, would that of necessity have to be a Labour one? Would you have any faith in the in the Conservative Party that's maddened by Brexit as it has been to to do any of that? I mean, who knows? I mean, one of the most lots of things have confused me over the last few years. But one of the things that confused me more than anything else I think it was about a fortnight before the 2017 election. 
Tim Montgomery wrote a piece in The Sun. Uh, and what he said was, we need to have higher taxes on well-paid people. We need to redistribute to the poorer parts of the North. And he said something else that I profoundly agreed with. And I read this in The Sun as a reason, three reasons to vote Tory, right? And I felt that my political centre of gravity... I felt politically drunk. I thought, my God, where am I? I shouldn't, I shouldn't be agreeing with this. Mm. I thought it was absolutely right. So we're at a moment when the futures for both our political parties are uncertain, and I don't know where they're going to stand. When Theresa May stood on the steps of Downing Street in July 2016, I thought she that was as good a summary of what was going on as I've heard. Yeah. I agree. And then she just seemed to yeah, forget all felt, of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, I went on a bit there. No, 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 it's great. <laughs> no, it's great. I was just thinking if we could just kind of, I think we could probably yeah, la- end on that line. Yeah. Right? I don't have to say... No, sure, yeah. We've come to the end of the show where the Brexit time capsule awaits. Arn and Menon, as our special guests, what are you putting into our Chernobyl-style sarcophagus of things we'll miss if we ever leave the EU? This is pathetic. But you know what? I'm going to miss going on telly after Brexit. <laughs> really? So I might put a couple of videos in there just to remind myself of the days. When, are you... you know, you're no stranger. The days to when I used room. to wear makeup. <laughs> I like that. Well, hopefully politics will continue to be terrible in a different way, <laughs> thus, thus keeping those uh, bookings coming. This week's EU language quote is from Daniel Van Berzon, and it's in Spanish. Soy un británico quien ha aprovechado al máximo del UE. He vivido y trabajado en España, donde aprendí castellano y conocí a mi esposa holandesa. Así que me enfadan todos los argumentos sobre la soberanía. Brexit me está perjudicando a mi soberanía como ciudadano europeo. That means I am a Briton who has taken full advantage of the EU. I have lived and worked in Spain where I learned Spanish and met my Dutch wife. I get angry at all the arguments about sovereignty. Brexit is threatening my sovereignty as an EU citizen. Thanks, Daniel. Don't forget to send us your European language clips, make a short recording on your phone and email it to us at info at romaniacs.com. We'll use the best ones. And that's the end of the show. Arne Menon, thanks for coming on the show. We didn't talk about cricket even once. Is that the uh, way to bring... We slag to... off Dunt enough for my life, <laughs> either, I have to say. Well, cricket, so you'll have to invite me back. A cricket and slagging off Ian Dunt, the ways to heal our divided nation. Well, they'd make me feel happier. <laughs> thanks for coming in, uh, and good luck with your, your TEDx. Talk. Thank you. We'll be back next week. Now, here's our theme tune, Demon is a Monster, and a salute to some of our latest Patreon backers. Thanks from me to Julie Dunn, Kate Riley, Hot Mama Ellie Mitchell, James Kent, Mark Dawson, Joe Norris, Briss Guro, Nikki, Tim Rose, and Name, just Name. Hello from me to Zucchini, one of our five a day. Oshin Lunny, Derek Reithens, Nicholas Norley, Gary Shepherd, MJ, Kerry Jones, David Watkins, James Hart, and Carmel Staunton. And finally, thanks for me to Kate Nusrainer, Jamie Shoe Smith, Oliver Wilby, Simon Evans, Wiston Palm, Michael Smith, Juha Niznimi, Michael Douglas, love during the China Syndrome, Melissa Bransberg, <laughs> and Bill. See you next week. Romaniacs was presented by Dorian Linsky with Roz Taylor and Alex Andreu. The producer is Andrew Harrison. An audio production was by me, Sophie Black, at Soho Radio. Romaniacs is a Podmasters production. 